Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. HeritageRadioNetwork.org, and I'm Dorothy Can Hamilton, the CEO and founder of the International Culinary Center, where we're sitting today. And I have a really exciting chef, and one of my heroes, Chef Robert Searles, better known as Chef Bobo, the really revolutionary chef who changed school food. Uh, here in New York City. Uh, Chef Bobo works at the Calhoun School, but uh, he's probably uh, better known because of his uh, background as a New Orleans fantastic uh, chef. Uh, He's uh, written books on children's food, but the most important accolade I think he's received that I know of is that Marion Nessel Dr. Mary Nessel from NYU thinks he has the best school food program in America, and we're going to be talking about that today. But, but Bobo, welcome. Welcome. I, I get such a kick out of you introducing me as Robert Searles. You know why? <laughs> I'm probably the only one who knows you with that name. Because <laughs> we go back to the interview at Calhoun, and you, when you introduced me there, she, you introduced me. I want you to know Chef Bobo, but I also just learned his real name, and I'll introduce <laughs> you as that name too. So, so it's it's good. It's Both good. names are good. good. I really love Chef Bobo. All right. Well, Chef Bobo has a really interesting past. As I said, he's a he's a native of New Orleans, and he went to University of Mississippi. Uh, old, old, old Ole Miss. Miss. Old Miss at Ox, in Oxford, and he's got some stories. Uh, but uh, he's had quite a life working with Air France. But one of the one of the big ones was uh, he came to FCI. He's uh, one of our grads. Uh, but he was private chefing too, to none other than Derek Jeter. So let's get right into it, um, Bobo. Let's. You're born in New Orleans. Born in New Orleans. How long did you? Were you there? Were you raised there? Your whole. I was there. We moved to Texas for a while, and then we went back to New Orleans and. Then Why don't you have a southern accent? Oh, I do. I do. You'll hear it. <laughs> it's coming out? <laughs> it will. Now that you mention it, it'll become very southern. All I try right. to hide it much of the time. Okay. But um, at 18, I went to college, all the way north to Ole Miss. And um, after graduating, I realized in the south, if you want a career, it's either got to be in tourism or food. And back in those days, there wasn't really a career in food. And I didn't want to go into tourism, so I moved to New York. And I got involved in human resources. Wait, wait what did you study at Ole Miss? Not tourism. Communications. Oh, communications. Right. Okay. And I had a second major in zoology, so I guess you could say I could talk to the animals. 
what better city to live in than in New York? <laughs> oh wait, now I've got to tell you this joke because you're from New Orleans. Right. Do you know how you're? You know you're in a Cajun zoo. How? Oh. Because next to the Latin name, they give you the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> That is so true. <laughs> that, is, that is so true. Okay, okay. So you moved to New York. Yes. And what were you looking to do? Were you I was looking to, well, I wanted to be an actor. But I also learned that you, also, you have to pay rent in New York. Mm-hmm. So I got a job with Alexander's Department Stores in the Corporate Training Department. And I worked with for a woman there who became my very best friend. Her name is Jody Morrow. And uh, while we were working together, she met her soon-to-be husband, Cousin Brucie. Cousin Brucie. Cousin Brucie, New York Radio legend. Yes, Yes. New York Radio legend. Yes. So um, we worked together for two years. Then I went to Doubleday Bookshops as an assistant general manager for their chain all across the United States. And um, I left there after about three years over some little problems with the direction the company was headed in and got a job with Air France, which was one of my dreams. Air France. Air France, s'il vous plaît. Yeah, yeah. And it was a dream. It was really a dream. An interesting part of that is the first time I went to Europe, I flew Alitalia. But when I got back, I kept my bag. And after I had my job with Air France for a year, I was going to take my first trip. I opened that bag, and the identification decal that was inside, and I hadn't used that bag, bag since I went on Alitalia to Rome, mm-hmm. was an Air France sticker. Oh. How was that for yes. wow. foretelling what was going to happen? It's a little scary, actually. It's a little scary. I've got other ones. <laughs> so, um, so you left Air France, and that's when you're cooking. Yes, uh, Air really France. Uh, I took early retirement, uh, 1999. I took a year off, and I decided, well, I'll try another for, for another human resources job. But my heart wasn't in it. Neither was it in the hearts of people I interviewed with. <laughs> they wanted an old man to come in as a human resource director. And one day, I was watching television. I was a little depressed. What am I going to do with my life? And I saw, now this is going to sound self-serving for you, but I saw an ad on the television for French Culinary Institute with Jacques Pepin. And it came to me, Dorothy, as clear as anything. That's it. That is it. Mm-hmm. I had been doing my own catering business, running my own catering business for 13 years mm-hmm. out of my apartment kitchen. I needed to hone my professional skills and learn how to organize a professional kitchen. What better place? So that day, I came down here and said, I want to sign up. And I can remember the admissions rep said to me, well, I want to take you on a tour. I said, I, I don't need the tour. I know this is I know this is what I want. She took me on the tour anyway and it was wonderful. I loved it. I just fell more in love with it. And it turned out that there wasn't an opening in the class for six months. So I was so disappointed. So I wrote a nice essay to get into the school. And after they considered the essay they said, We have a class coming up in June, which was this was May. I wasn't gonna have to wait until December. Are you interested? Oh, you bet I am. I'm there. 
and so I started in that class in June of 2000. And the minute I stood in that classroom, it was one of those moments in your life when you know everything is right. Oh. I had on my uniform. Mm -hmm. I had my toolkit. Mm -hmm. I had. I was in this wonderful kitchen, which to me was like a temple. Yes. You know, because it had all these little icons of what yeah. being a chef was about. Yeah. And I just, I, I, I wish you could see the email I wrote to my friends after that first day at FCI. Some of them said they would save it forever to show their kids. Because I w we cooked that first day, you know. Oh, yeah. This hands-on cooking, first 45 <laughs> That's minutes. That's right. And I was just totally, totally in love. And I knew I was where I should be. You know, it's so important to do what you love. Yep. It really is, because you never feel like you're working. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell. Oh, it, the myth? Of, yeah, the myth of the power yeah, of myth. myth. Yeah. And he, he always said, you have to follow your bliss. Oh, that's a good statement. So I said, the hard part is you have to find out what your bliss is. That's true. And so I decided, I thought about it and thought about it. I said, well, I have two things that really make me happy. That's what your bliss is. What makes you happy? One is food and cooking it for others. And my second bliss is kids. Well, that's what, you know, I almost lost my job here because of that. <laughs> because, uh, well, let, before we get to the kid part... Right. Um, you left school, you know, and where did you go to work? After, after I finished here? Yeah. Well, about six weeks before I graduated, Sue yes. LaFreary yeah. came to me. She said, would you be interested in staying on as an assistant chef instructor? I said, oh, my goodness. This being in the right place is going a little too far. I've been paying to go to school here, now they're going to pay me. I said, absolutely, absolutely, I would love to be here. I also, at about the same time, maybe it was, a, no, it was about a year and a half later, uh, went to work for Derek Cheater. Can you talk about that? I, I can, know he's a very private man. He's a very private man, but there's no secret that I was his first personal chef. And the story of how that came to be is sort of fun. I was doing some, some freelance chefing for IMG, the marketing firm that represented him. And his agent wanted to give him a gift for a, of a chef for a month to see if it would help him uh, eat better. And if he liked it, he, he would then pick up paying me. So they didn't tell me who it was for. And so finally, I, I didn't hear from him, I didn't hear from him, but I knew it was for Derek Jeter. I don't know why. I mean, it's like everything else has happened, you know? And I called him, I said, you know, you wanted me to work for one of your clients, but um, you haven't said any more. They said, we need to arrange an interview, interview for you with Derek Jeter. I said, okay. <laughs> so I went to his apartment, 88th floor of the Trump building over on the east side and we hit it off so nicely he was so much fun and he I put him at ease he put me at ease and uh, we just had a great talk and we talked to him about what he likes to eat and he said well I like chicken <laughs> well that's good <laughs> that's good that's a start and I said well show me your kitchen let me see what you got 
this is this is classic. He said, well, I don't think there's anything in this. So we get up and we go to this beautiful kitchen overlooking the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building and the East River. And I said, well, you've got all these wonderful cabinets and let's see what you got. He said, I don't think anything. So you go open a cabinet. He said, nothing there. <laughs> go to the next cabinet, nothing <laughs> there. All the way cabinet. through all the cabinets. He never looked at any How of them. How big a kitchen was it? It was the size of this office, which is wow, pretty big. big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in the refrigerator, I opened the door of the refrigerator. There wasn't an inch of space. Oh, what was in there? Gatorade. Not beer. <laughs> Nothing. Gatorade. 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 Oh my gosh, is Gatorade gonna love this? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, we hit it off, and then for two years, I worked for him as his personal chef. Now, was it true that he couldn't go to a restaurant after a game? Yeah, well, I think that's probably still the case. Uh, he's so recognizable and so loved. Yeah, so loved. Yeah, that when he goes anywhere, people are all over him. So the, the opportunity of being able to come home to food was very important. But where was he eating before Bobo? Well, this is probably the part I shouldn't tell. <laughs> he would go through drive throughs and pick up a food and take it to... Like drive through McDonald's? Yes, that type of place. The poor guy. Because that way he wouldn't be recognized, or if it was, he could control, yes. control it and take his food to the... Uh, yeah, back Yankee to the apartment. Stadium, or or yeah, to, the, right. to the apartment, yeah. Oh, that's sad. All right, well, we're going to take a break here. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to visit really the most important part of your cooking career, what you're doing now. Uh, this is Chef Story, and we're on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West Welcome back. This is Chef Story. I'm Dorothy Can Hamilton speaking to Chef Bobo, otherwise known as Chef Robert Searles, who is the uh, executive chef at the Calhoun School on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And he's arguably uh, probably the most um, uh, lauded chef doing school food today. And that's from the people in the know um, who've really gone around the country. And Bobo, I just uh, we were talking about your early years. You studied here, and you were an assistant uh, instructor. And in fact, you did family food, right? Uh, where we feed everybody, all the students, all the staff. It's 500, 600 people a day, and you made the best family food in the history of the school. And your mac and cheese was <laughs> legendary. And then my daughter went to Calhoun, and the the. Parents Association wanted to change the cafeteria food, and I came back to the school and said to Chef Alain, who's the head chef, 
do you, do you think we have a chef who could help us with the school food? And he goes, Bobo, Bobo wants to work with children, Bobo. And so uh, you went, you became the, the chef, and everyone here has since held it against me that I took you away. <laughs> but but you know. t- uh, tell us about your, your passion. Well, for let me what just you tell do. you how grateful I am to Chef, chef Alain. Alain Sayak. At the end of my first six weeks of FCI, he calls all the students in and says, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, what I really want to do is become involved in changing the way kids eat because I'm really worried about kids. Two years later, he remembered that. And that's when he told you Bobo. And so he called me into his office. He said, you remember your dream that you told me about? I said, yes. He said, what is it? What it is? And I said, well, it's to work with kids and change the way kids eat. He said, well, that dream can come true. Here we go again, <laughs> you know. And I said, really? He said, yes, there's a school up on, on the Upper West Side, and I love this, called the Kaloon School. <laughs> Kaloon. <laughs> and his best friend, you know. And I said, hmm, I wonder how you spell that. So he went with me for my interview. You met us there. Hmm. And we talked with the hiring committee and was hired on the spot. And it was the day before that that I was hired by Derek Jeter. So I had a good week. Wow. Yeah. So you were doing that the same time you were at Calhoun? Yes. So now, tell people think, you know, it's rocket science to go in and change the way kids eat and schools operate. Tell us what was, what was at the Calhoun School when you went there and what were the things you did and how long did it take you? It's, it's, it's not as easy as one would hope it would be. I thought they would just be like family meal here at, at FCI. Um, I had to get new equipment. And how, you know, how did that come about? Well, schools don't have money. That's right. I think that, I don't know if it's the Parents Association. It was the Parents Association. Who were able to collect about $65,000 to uh, uh, invest in some new equipment. And we got a bank of of two convection ovens, a new stove top, a small tilting kettle, and that was it. And what was there when you first went in? Why did you have to go There was a heating oven. So that's what we feed our kids, the heating oven. So everything comes frozen. Or from a a central kitchen somewhere. Mm -hmm. And what I learned very, very quickly was that the food was basically inedible. And that the way kids could eat it, if they decided to eat it, was to cover it with ketchup because it would kill the taste. The other thing that they would, they on, the only thing they wanted to eat was what they called a Munster bagel, a white bagel with Munster cheese in it. That's really? simple. That's it. That's it. Two processed foods. So I said, well, the first thing I have to do is say this. If I want kids to taste my food, there can be no ketchup in the cafeteria. So I said, no ketchup. That backfired on me, by the way. Because when kids asked me about the ketchup, I said, no, I don't want to have ketchup, and I'll tell you why. Ketchup has more sugar than ice cream, and personally, I'd rather have ice cream. Now, where do you think that went? Oh, yay, we're going to have ice cream for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Which we haven't had yet after 10 years. But, you have something uh, against ice cream? No, I love ice cream. I just don't have a freezer big enough to store it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but we don't use ketchup very much. Mm-hmm. And 
kids don't ask for it. They love the food. The next step for me was to, was working with a food committee of students, teachers, and me. And we kept having these meetings, but they had no suggestions. The first meeting they said, we need more choice. At the time I had a hot, a hot table that only had three openings. So that, that meant I had, very, I had very slow service for one thing. Three openings meaning three places you could put warming dishes. Yes, exactly. So people come up and yeah, take their yeah. food. So we got one with five. That, that way two people could be served at a time. We bought another salad bar. So that gave us a lot of options. That's where the, that's where the choices are on the salad bar. Because we had everything you could possibly want in a salad. Plus we make um, composed salads out of leftovers. So if you... If you didn't eat yesterday's chicken, or if you liked yesterday's chicken, if there was any leftover, there's the chicken salad on the salad bar if you don't like today's lunch. And, of course, we have more fruit than a fruit stand. Mm. You know. So how many, how many students at Calhoun, and how long the uh, lunch period? We have 550 students. We feed 650 people. And each, we have five seatings. And each one is about 25 minutes long. And it's in a basement. And it's in the basement. <laughs> right. So we're not talking about privileged circumstance here. And not what at do you, all. And what do you spend on an average lunch? Right now, we this year, we ended up spending $3.15 per person per day. And, and during the day, is it only lunch No, that it includes a continental breakfast. A continental right, breakfast. Which means hot oatmeal. We make little mini muffins. We make. Uh, we have little whole wheat bagels. We have fruit. We have yogurt. We have juice. And for the parents, we invite parents in. That we have coffee. We have a really good coffee now, and um, it's snacks in the afternoon. Three dollars and fifteen cents. That's a day. incredible. That's incredible. So now, now tell me what. Uh, when you took over, it was mozzarella sticks, the ubiquitous pizza, um, mainly deep fried or frozen heated up. Right. Describe some of the menus you're doing today. Okay. Well, there. The menus. Can I get something out of my bag that will sure. help me with that? Uh, because we we offer such such diversity. You, you really do. I mean, I, the, the reason 650 people eat there, I will, I will say this. Uh, the, on the Upper West Side, the school is a block from a McDonald's and many other little, great little Chinese joints. You know, this is New York City. It's not a bad place. You've got Zaybars. Yeah, Zaybars is right there. And the teachers all used to go out. And the minute that Bobo started working his magic, the teachers stayed. The students stayed, because seniors, I think juniors and seniors used to be able to go out. But the food was better inside. And quite frankly, there are a lot of actors that have their children there. And I remember seeing Fran McDormand and Joel Cohn, who had their son in the right. school, have breakfast they, every yeah. morning. <laughs> Some days I thought it was the Academy Awards. <laughs> I'd see a few uh, actors in there. But anyway, tell us about your menus. Okay. Read some of them. All right, let's 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 look at some of the entrees. We'll have rigatoni with pesto sauce. Now, this isn't just rigatoni. It's freshly made rigatoni. And it's used making with spelt flour. So it's spelt rigatoni. 
Also, the gluten-free people. That's can right. Eat it. Yeah, it, and it's delicious. It's nutty, and it's when uh, recently I had to serve white pasta because I couldn't. I, I didn't call in time for the spell from our supplier. And kids asked me, "What happened to the good pasta?" All right. Right. And they were talking about the spelt pasta, or what some people would think of as a, a whole wheat type of pasta. And of course, from my part of the country, Cajun catfish. Mm. This is one of the favorite things on the menu. The Cajun catfish is marinated in buttermilk. We put panko crumbs on it that have been seasoned with thyme and oregano and three different kinds of peppers and dry mustard. And we roast it in the oven. It becomes very crisp, almost like fried fish. Mm. And we serve it with a little remoulade sauce and lemon, and it's mm. so good. And kids love it. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. It's one of the favorite things we do. Mm. And uh, chicken etouffee. That's New Orleans. Chicken etouffee. Oh, my gosh. This really has gotten... Right. We, we have our moments. Can the students pronounce it? Yes. Yeah, so we <laughs> See, this is all part... You know, a lot, the reason a lot of schools don't, go, don't improve their school food is they say, it's 30 minutes, it doesn't matter. There's no learning. And this is where we prove those people wrong. There's a lot of learning. They learn what an Indian kid will eat at lunchtime because we're having it too. Uh, they're learning the, the racial influences on food from various parts of the country because we eat that food and not tell them where it came from. And so... There's a lot of learning. They're learning how much is enough by portion control. Now, do you portion control? Yes, for the we kids? do. Absolutely. The only thing we don't portion control is the salad bar, the fruit, and on any given day, maybe the vegetable, because kids love vegetables. And I'm wait, wait. Kids love vegetables. Kids love vegetables. I'm here what to tell you. What kind of veg? Tell me what vegetables they're loving. I'm going to tell you the favorite loving. ones. <laughs> Uh, roasted green beans, roasted broccoli, asparagus, zucchini, and cauliflower. Cauliflower. Brussels sprouts. The kids love them. All right, tell love us. Them. They'll come back for seconds and thirds and fourths if we let how them. How do you do your How do you do your Brussels sprouts? Okay, we cut them in half. We. T- it's really hard. It's really hard. We cut them in half. We toss them in olive oil, sprinkle them with a little salt and pepper, and put them in a hot oven until they turn brown. Because they're caramelized. They're caramelized, and that's the natural sugar, so they're yeah. sweet. Yes. And we take them out, and that's all there is to it. There's no pixie dust on that. Oh. So... We do the same thing with broccoli. We do the same thing with asparagus, cauliflower, any vegetable that you could cook like that. You make a lot of stuff from scratch. Everything. Everything. So how many people in your kitchen? I have six other chefs besides myself. I have a salad bar prep lady, Rosa. You remember Rosa? Yeah, Rosa, yeah. And I have a pot washer. Okay, so there's eight of you. There's eight of us. Mm -hmm. Nine of us. Right. And then you, well, we're going to get into how you're proselytizing and changing America because right. these people don't stay; they go, they go out. So, t- tell me, what um, what were your biggest challenges in in affecting these menus? I mean, they, the kids are. This is ten years into it right. now. Um, so, tell us, tell us, what were your challenges? The challenges were parents who were afraid their kids wouldn't eat the food before they had the chance to eat it. Really. Yeah, our, there was one parent who came down when her son was in the second grade and he wasn't eating and she said to me, you have to give me a bagel, my son isn't eating. 
I said, but I don't have any bagels because I don't serve bagels at lunch. And she said, you have to give me one. I said, I don't have any. I did have them, but I, I was lying. She said, well, I would just start sending a bagel in his lunch every day. I said, that's your priority, but I don't recommend it. That kind of thing I've had to deal with a lot. Mm -hmm. um, if they'll just let the kid be, if they'll understand that the way kids eat is their last little vestige of control over their parents. You know, after the age three, um, the kids are afraid of new things. They, they have a neophobia. And so they don't want, that's when the no starts. No, no, no. But when they get to Calhoun in the second grade and they see their, their peers eating it, they just might try it and they're probably going to like it. How do you get the peers eating Brussels sprouts at school if they're not going to eat it at home? Okay, one very important thing we do. Our chefs not only cook the food, they serve it. Ah. All right, so they can encourage kids. They can say, please try it. I cooked it. You know, because they love our chefs. They all fall in love with the chefs. And uh, so there's something magic about that white jacket that we take out there, and we talk to the kids, and we try to get them to eat. If I go out onto the floor and say, why aren't you eating this? They'll say, well, I forgot to get it. I'll say, well, let's go get you some, and they'll eat it. So it's just a manager, matter of taking interest in what they're eating and encouraging them to eat it. Okay, we're going to have to take a little break here, but we're definitely coming back. There's a lot of benefits that are hidden in, in your magic. So you're listening to Chef's Story on Radio um, Heritage Radio Network.org. We'll be right back. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is dedicated to providing the most up-to-date information and news on the food industry. Interviews with chefs and in-depth pieces on food systems take listeners literally from the farm to the fork. Can you hear this anywhere else? Nope. Press the donate button on our website and learn how you can become a founding member and support the station. Welcome back. It's Chef's Story with Dorothy Can Hamilton speaking to Chef Bobo of the Calhoun School in New York City, and he is a magician. He gets grades uh, 2 through 12, not only eating, but Bobo, after 10 years of working your magic at Calhoun, I understand that the seniors last year dedicated the high school yearbook to you and the kitchen staff. Can you tell us about oh, that? Oh, that was the biggest surprise in the world and one of the most touching moments of my life. You know what that means? It means thank you. It means we really appreciate that you've done this, that you've... We love you for it. It's what they say, we love you for doing this. And um, What did you do for them? I changed the way they eat. I made them understand what food was about. I helped them develop their palates so that they understood what real food tastes like instead of what they were eating before. And uh, I taught them how to cook it. You know, they. So you you have cooking classes. Yeah, right we now. have uh, cooking classes for kids in the fifth, sixth grade, 
and which is a curriculum driven cooking class now and where they step by step learn to create an entire menu and in the last class they cook for their parents a whole really? meal a whole three course meal appetizer entree and dessert can you tell us a menu uh, it would be probably like a vegetable soup mm-hmm. uh, with uh, roasted chicken and some maybe roasted cauliflower. Mm-hmm. And for dessert, they would do a little apple tart. How nice. You know, for a kid in the fifth grade, that's big. That is big. And that means they can cook for themselves at some point. Yes. Instead of going to, to one of these fast food places, they can stay in and say, you know, it'll be fun if I cook it. So, we, and then for the high school kids, we had a volunteer cooking class, and um, the focus there is to teach them, teach them dishes that they can cook when they go to college. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, so, what kind of stuff were you teaching them? It would be, the, it would be things like Cajun catfish, basically yeah. from our recipes, that, mm-hmm. uh, the things that they really loved. And uh, they're cost-effective, too. It is cost-effective, very much so. We, we showed them how to roast a chicken the way I learned it at FCI. We showed them uh, how to make soups and how to make a vegetable stock for that soup. Um, and show them the difference in if you make it this way, why it's better than if you use canned mm-hmm. soup. And so all of these things, we'll, we'll teach them how to make a basic chocolate cake because everybody wants to learn how to make a chocolate cake. So this isn't about food deprivation at all. It's no. about food balance and really teaching someone. I think one of the biggest surprises, because Olivia was still in school, you know, when you're in in the first uh, in your first year there. In fact, she was there for a long time while you were there. Uh, the head of the middle school came to me sort of six months into after you were there saying it was the first time she saw 13-year-old girls eat because they're either watching their weight or stuffing themselves. It got, you know, who knows what kind of um, uh, eating disorders there were. And she said they were afraid to eat, but they know with your food they're not afraid to eat. Right. And it's not going to make them fat. Right. And it's and teachers came up and said the kids are alert after lunch. Right. They're not on this sugar high right. or or sleeping. And best of all, parents came up and said, you know, when I used to pick up, you know, my kid at school, the first thing they wanted to do was go get something to eat because they were starving because they had the mozzarella stick or you know the right. empty calories at yeah. lunch, and or that, nothing. Or nothing, and they would throw off. You know, by five o'clock or six, when you wanted to give them supper, they weren't hungry, right. and and it threw off the homework schedule and everything. And you revolutionized the kitchen there, and all of you know, you brought joy and and some sanity to all these people. So, did, did you know that that was going to happen? Well, I knew with a sense that you know, Calhoun has a great sense of community. And I knew with that sense of community, we were going to create joy because you go to anybody's home, and where is the happiest place to be? The kitchen. In the kitchen. So people hang out in our kitchen, and we love it. If kids want to come spend an hour helping us cook, absolutely, we're we're happy to have it. Do you remember Bobby Aronson? Sure. Bobby Aronson this year had to do a six-week internship. He did it with us in the kitchen. He was fabulous. You're going to see him here one day. I promise you really? that. Yeah. Really? He was amazing. He was focused. He was committed. He was, he was just great. 
So you you take the food out of the kitchen too, don't you? Get involved with the curriculum at Cal. Absolutely. Uh, we've always talked to teachers and said, "Say, look, if you have something that we can demonstrate in your classroom about food, for instance, in the lower school Spanish class one time, uh, we talked about chocolate being used for food that's not candy or cake or cookies. We made mole sauce for that." Of course, we try to create it on a day when, uh, close to a day when we're having mole sauce in our food online. And when they come to the line, everybody wants it because they've had it. They tried it in that atmosphere where there's no pressure. Hey, up in the classroom. Up in the classroom. We did the same thing with quinoa for the fifth graders. I took them up, I took quinoa up and showed them the raw quinoa, the dried. And I showed them how we cooked it, and I showed them something that was cooked and was able to show them that in the, if you looked in, into each little seed, because it's a seed, not a grain, you can see the uh, stigma in it that's going to bloom someday to be a quinoa plant. And they were so fascinated by that. Quinoa now is our favorite, one of our favorite things on the menu. Really? Yeah, can you believe that? And so... We go to the classroom to talk about food. I did a nutrition class this year for sixth graders, and three of them for three different units. And, and we talked about my plate and the healthy plate and how we use it to plan our menus. And, you know, I was telling them information, but they were giving me much more information than I was giving them because they understand what we're doing. At the sixth grade, they understand the kind of food program we are presenting to them. That, because they've had it since the second grade. That's right. And to them, that's normal. Yeah. Now, uh, having yeah, another thing, this year, for the first time, I taught a class to seniors on the politics of food. My gosh, how fantastic. It was... <laughs> was it a full semester? It was. A, it, we have a mod schedule now. Uh -huh. So there are five six-week mods instead of two semesters. Right. I right? see. But it was a full mod. Okay. It was an elective class. It was over-enrolled, so they had to eliminate people. Only 13 people could be in the class. Oh. And these were all top-of-the-line students. I'm sure you would know a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And the first week, I realized, I was thinking, these kids are not going to be that interested in this. They blew me away. Dorothy, I've never had to work so hard in my life trying to keep up with these kids for where they were taking this information about so what, what the was politics of food, sustainable farming, uh, the, the, the big corn uh, fields of Iowa and where subsidy. that corn was going, the subsidies, the farm bill, all of these things that really affect them. We had a big heated debate one day on should New York pass a soda tax. Oh, how'd they fall out on that one? Well, the, the side that won was the, the side that said no, that it won't cure anything. But both sides were vigorous, very vigorous in their debate. But in that first week, I these were seniors. Many of them had been eating with me for 10 years. I understood that I had done my job. I had really done my job. They were telling me they can't eat McDonald's anymore. Yeah. They, can't, they can't go to any fast food place because the, the overlying taste is so offensive to them. 
And of course, we were getting into all of that with, with the, the corn products. Yes. How everything you eat today has corn in it, in some form or another, whether it's a chemical or... And they were just, they were great. We went to the White House. You went to the White we House? We went to the White House. We had a, a one-hour meeting with Marion Nessel. Oh, Dr. Nessel at NYU? Yes, and we just, we went to the White House Kitchen and Garden. And, and that's because of your personal connections right. with the pastry chef. That's right, exactly. Right, right? But he was How, wonderful. What a privilege. Oh, it was a great trip. And we, we came here for a day. To the International Culinary right. Center, yeah. And um, it well, was a great class. I'm doing it again in the fall. And it oversubscribed, I'm sure. Right. But, you know, isn't this intelligent? Because this is learning they will carry through the rest of their life. Yes. And it will positively yes. affect them they know how to eat that's exactly what I wanted I wanted them to understand what real food tastes like I wanted to develop those little palates of second graders and as they went on I wanted them to understand what really good food tastes like mm-hmm. I can remember in my interview Alan Sayak saying anybody could cook a carrot but Chef Bobo knows how to make that carrot delicious Oh. And that has always stuck with me. And, and that goes back to French technique, of course. Mm-hmm. Because that's what French technique is, is, is getting the best out of food. Well, I tell you, we just got the best out of you. I'm going to have to <laughs> close this interview, but you're going to come back. The one thing I would like to put you on the spot. Okay. I know you've been incredibly generous with anyone who wanted to come in and see what you do. Yes. You've had many heads of schools come in to look at your operation. Would you be willing to invite people out there who would like to get in touch with you to what come in I? and see your operation? Because it is, it is so special. That's not putting me on my spot. That's putting me on my platform because <laughs> I love doing that. And I just Let me just rush to say that yeah. over these 10 years, five of my chefs have gone on to run food programs in other schools. Yeah, you were an incubator. Well, an incubator, laboratory, whatever. Yes. We train them how to do this, and then they go out to school. So, if you want to, if you're thinking about maybe my school can do better, come see me, and I can maybe even have a chef for you. <laughs> well, really, I think that that will change yep. how America eats. And if anybody really wants to take uh, Bobo up on that, just get in touch with us at the radio station. Write your comments. Uh, and uh, I, I would say, go eat his food. I mean, <laughs> that's the the other bonus because it, it is absolutely delicious. Well, Bobo, thank you, and oh, I don't. have to say, I am so proud of you. I'm, I'm thank just you. thrilled with what you're doing. You are changing America. I'm doing what I love. Well, good. It's a love affair. Good. Well. Thank you. We're going to close down now, and I just want to thank our producer, Jack Inslee, and um, our assistant producers, minus a couple of students here, Heidi Tickle and Joe Sevier, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.